Texas talking oh. What was that that you said? Texas talking oh. Gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys This is Madeline McClure, the CEO of TexProtects, the Texas Association for the Protection of Children. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month, and I just spent all day at the Capitol asking our legislators to do more to protect our children. Now I'm going to relax and listen to the TribCast. Here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you, and I certainly hope we don't disappoint you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the TribCast for the very first week, first day, in fact, of April. I'm here with Editor-in-Chief and CEO Evan Smith. Hey, Reeve. Well, that's disappointing. What's disappointing? Him. (laughs) It already happened. What are you, now you're all that? All right. uh, (laughs) Speaking of that, uh, Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Shut up, Ross. And our brand new three-day-old higher ed and uh, business of college sports reporter. That's a mouthful. We're not going to use that whole thing. Matthew Watkins. Hello. Are we going to haze him during this podcast? Sure. I mean, that's why. This is it. Uh, This is the hazing (laughs) part of the podcast. And this is the first ever Tribcast that we are periscoping, which I've been promised bears no resemblance to a colonoscopy. For us, at least, maybe for you. We'll we'll know in a half hour. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, let's start off by talking about a legislative debate that basically just wrapped up, and that's the budget fight. It went on for 18 hours in the House last night. Luckily, I slept for about five of those hours. Uh, Ross, tell us, first of all, tell us the highlights of this particular budget before we go into all the uh, delicious fireworks last night. You know, the top line of this is sort of boring, but John Otto got his budget out of the House with you know, relatively few marks on it. Um, he's the chairman of the House Appropriations Committee. Um, the budget came out in pretty much the shape that it went in and in pretty much the shape that he wanted it out. You know, he came in, they had 354 proposed amendments to it. Um, it's the Just only, a few. Yeah, Is that the most ever? <clears throat> no, and it's the, you know, it's the only budget that has to pass. It's the only bill that has to pass. So if you can get whatever crazy idea you have stuck to the budget, then it has a chance. Right, whatever bill you have that's basically like not even going to have a chance in right. committee. Right, so what really happens with most of that stuff is that if, if it looks like they have the votes, they put it into Article 11, which is kind of the cemetery at the end of the budget. It's this place where you put wish list items and things that might happen if the money becomes available that might be moved out. Mm-hmm. It keeps your idea alive at least long enough to get to the conference committee where the Senate and House budgets are reconciled. And that's, you know, if you looked at Article 11, uh, this morning, it's full of all kinds of stuff from those 354 amendments. And then you go through the budget and you say, well, what happened here that was um, really remarkable? They got on some abstinence language. They got on. Um, I'm trying to go through, all, trying to think through all the headlines. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, let's go through some of the. I, I mostly the remembering the things they items. didn't. The things they didn't get on. They right. did not kill film incentives. They did not do a whole bunch of stuff on abortion. They did right. not kill do much on the border uh, toll road stuff they didn't do the voucher right? stuff they so did they not do, do the voucher, voucher stuff. let's a, talk a little bit about the voucher stuff because i think this is interesting so the voucher stuff was an amendment that would have from the democrats that would have said no money from this budget can be used to as vouchers for private schools and this is how they killed vouchers last time right, right. especially right. at a time when you have the senate that is you know under dan patrick that's you know hot much for more vouchers. hot for vouchers right right so uh, the idea was to preempt that conversation that's coming later about vouchers by sticking this in the budget and putting the sense of the House on it. You know, there's a there's a sort of a weird thing in the House. If, if you go into a big debate like this anticipating a fight on a particular issue, 
that fight almost never happens. Mm-hmm. The places where the fights erupt are on things that you didn't see coming or that right. people snuck in with. Like, like Stuart Spitzer's sex life. Uh, Evan right. cannot wait. He wants I to talk about wait. Stuart okay, Spitzer's don't. sex life I, so badly. I, I, I think that that... He cannot abstain. That, that was a rare moment of the messiest aspects of our legislative process on display. And I, I'm frankly mad that not every fight was like that. I want more people practically coming to blows. I want to know right. about people's personal details. Let's I want leave blows this. out of this, please. Uh, s- well, there was a question about what... You, you are more juvenile than Reeve. <laughs> well, there this was a is now confirmed. About it what const- came up. It yeah. did come up. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, moving on. Evan, talk us through the actual <laughs> specifics of the this debate. Probably sounds better on the on the podcast. Than <laughs> I on know exactly. Periscope. So, what was the actual crux of the the argument between Spitzer and Harold Dutton? The essence of it was that Spitzer was looking to move HIV funding uh, uh, to a, a, an abstinence funding. Abstinence only education. Only education budget. You know, there's long-standing controversy over whether abstinence only education even works. Go back to the interview that. You'll remember, you'll remember that I did with Governor Perry in the 2010 gubernatorial debate right. in which we asked an abstinence question kind of whimsically. I think it was actually something that su- was suggested by an audience member or a listener or reader of the Tribune. And the governor went off on this whole thing about, I know abstinence works because it worked in my life. I just know that it works. It was a clip that then right. w- went, went viral. Um, the reality is that Texas has among the highest teen pregnancy rates in the entire country, despite the fact that we have a very high uh, budget for abstinence. Uh, education and the theory is that obviously it's not working if we if the former happens as a res, you know despite the latter so there was some controversy over the the whole fact of abstinence only education but also the fact of taking money out of the HIV program and anyway Harold Dutton and Stuart Spitzer not just Harold Dutton got into a big fight um, that got weirdly to Stuart Spitzer's Personal. own abstinence experience experience Stuart Spitzer saying something to the effect of I've only had sex with one person and that one person was my wife and it was after we were married and Harold Dutton said is it that you only had sex with her because you chose to or because nobody would have sex with you before you were married that was effectively the question it right. literally was and Spitzer, yikes did you ask anybody else and yeah. Spitzer said you know I think that question is kind of inappropriate and Harold Dutton sort of went on to say I didn't think it was pretty it was inappropriate I thought it was perfectly apt for this every one of these budget fights needs an oh no you didn't moment that was definitely that was, that was the oh no you didn't moment of the evening. Right, and if you're if you're John Otto, that's fine. You know, if you're John Otto and you're trying to shepherd this budget in some kind of complete shape into uh, a conference committee that's coming with the Senate, you know this, you know you're going to so, have moments like that. What they were really doing, I mean, you know, you know, as a matter of tactics, when you take something like this to the floor, you take an early thing, you let an early amendment kind of be a test vote. And, you know, they had, um, I'm so bleary after all of this, that um, it was also a Spitzer Amendment, and it was about moving money from the Film Commission mm-hmm. to... Um, to Spitzer or Schaefer? Spitzer. Spitzer. Uh, moving something from the Film Commission to something else, and Doug Miller came in and suggested that they, instead of moving the money from the Film Commission, they move it from the community college in Spitzer's district. So Spitzer had to pull down his own amendment. Yikes. And there were a couple of amendments there at the beginning where they had votes, and it showed how many people were with Otto on something that nobody really Correct. deeply cared about mm-hmm. and how many people were not. So they got their early vote. It turned out there were 18 no's on that. And through the night, you know, the people that were challenging what Otto and the Appropriations Committee had written um, fell short again. They, they, they were again. dwindling, and so it ended up that there were only five no votes when the, the whole when thing, the bill right? uh, uh, was approved early this we morning. They all have the same political consultant. They all have right? the same political consultant, Luke Macias, and those five were Molly White, Tony Tinderholt, 
David Simpson, Matt Rinaldi, and Matt Schaefer, who really, I thought Schaefer, in many ways, his profile was raised over the course of those 18 hours. You just like that Bill Clements plaid jacket he had on. I did like his jacket. I thought that was a real fashionable guy. I thought that was a real sparky jacket. But I thought more than the sparky, sparky. more than the sparky jacket. We call him Sparky. I thought that yeah. I thought that Matt Schaefer. I thought Matt Schaefer embodied what remains of the opposition to the Strauss slash Otto view of the world. R- really, that end of the spectrum is down to the stems and the seeds. Right. Um, we went from nineteen votes against Strauss to basically five votes against the budget. I'd be interested to know the rationale for those 12 votes, people who voted against Strauss but voted for the budget. Now, I'm assured by some on the right that some of the people who voted for the budget this morning may not vote for the budget when it comes back around after conference. But of course, I think that there's an illogical aspect to that because they're going into conference with a much more conservative Senate. If the issue is, I'm conservative, I don't think this budget is conservative enough, it's going into conference with a more conservative Senate, it's not going to come back less conservative, less conservative, it's going to come back more conservative, almost certainly. And if you voted for this budget, how are you going to argue against the budget that comes back from conference? You have a different point of view. A couple of things are going to be in that budget that aren't in this one. There's going to be some resolution one way or the other to the vouchers fight, which is now going to be in the form of legislation on vouchers. Do we have it? Do we not have it? Is it urban only? Is it statewide? They've got to resolve that. And is there money for it in the budget that comes out of conference committee? That's one thing. And the bigger thing is that the House and the Senate are at um, cross purposes on how to cut taxes and which taxes to cut. And whatever the final budget is, we'll have whatever resolution. You so know, if, if the House one, if the House view of the world on that wins, then the argument could be, I would have voted for this budget, but I can't go there. Right. And, and you know, if Interesting. Ha- you know, how you vote on the budget, right. maybe how you feel about the tax bill, how you feel about vouchers, how you feel about school funding. Education funding. So, so that's yeah, really, right. the, so that's the other part of this quickly, Emily, is the, the the list of issues that the House and the Senate are in disagreement on is really interesting. And, you know, the question of House versus Senate tension is always more of a chupacabra, right? It's it's not real. Chupacabras actually exist. Or a golem, right? Depending upon your... your oh, boy. Yeah. It, it, but, <laughs> right. but, but, but in fact... It's a literary mind. The, the reality is... <laughs> the, rea- the reality Those is... Those are movies, Ross, too. Edu- education, funding, <laughs> vouchers... Um, uh, spending cap, uh, busting or not, um, property tax versus sales tax cuts, right? Border security spending, how much? Yeah, and, and then they, and do they get planes? Mm-hmm. And then the the kind of cherry on the Sunday of House versus Senate tension potentially is campus carry. You think? Not in the budget. No, no, but you think that among just the issues broadly that have that, that were the, on which there's I think some campus tension. Campus carry is interesting. You I think, think campus carry could actually ultimately be be killed by the house? I think if you were sitting on the fence on this and you were a conservative and you knew your voters were kind of mildly for campus carry but not solidly, and you were looking for a reason, I think you know it may be that Bill McRaven, the new chancellor at the University of Texas, and the former admiral in charge of the Navy SEALs, saying he thinks guns will make campuses less safe gives you some room to say, well, I'm with McRaven. All right, where, well, where without that, you might, you might Ross be saying I'm for, pivoted I'm for well to the UT that, that, system. That's when I get to make my that's so McRaven joke again. No? Yeah, we're going to wait for that yeah, one. Okay. It was funny the first time. So, All right, so or, or maybe not even funny. Speaking day, but, but. of the UT system, uh, there was some news around uh, Wallace Hall, the UT system regent. Basically, a Travis County grand jury has been looking into whether Wallace Hall broke any laws when he was sort of deeply investigating uh, admissions practices at, at UT Austin. What did they say? Well, there was a little bit of an unexpected resolution here. Um, I guess maybe not too surprisingly, they chose not to indict, not to take any action on the uh criminal investigation that they were working 
the surprising thing is that although instead of just, you know, either no billing him or just letting their term expire without taking any action, they decided to issue a report basically saying we're not going to take any action, but we strongly disagree with uh, Wallace Hall's behavior as a regent, and we actually recommend that he be removed from that position. So since when do grand juries get to make like recommendations saying, you know, we're not going to we're not going to take any action here, but but we think you guys should do this. It's unusual. Um, <laughs> the, the degree of how unusual it is was a little bit of a matter of debate yesterday. The, the Travis County DA's office basically said this is not they said it wasn't unusual. It's not rare for this to happen, that sometimes grand juries, they, they may not see enough evidence to uh, say someone committed a crime, but they feel like they want to say something. Um, you don't see that happen very much at all. I know there are some cases in, you know, way back in Texas history where this has happened before with public figures, but I would say it's very strange. And I think even more strange is the the actual recommendations here is that, you know, this this grand jury wasn't convened to suggest ways to improve the UT system. And they didn't just recommend the removal of Wallace Hall. They recommended changes in board policies about how regents should behave. And I would say that was surprising, especially because we don't even know who these grand jury members are. Right. right. Apparently, they're all from the editorial page of someplace. I was well, say, well, that's the, the American statesman. Yeah. Are they all UT Austin <laughs> right. alums? I mean, how much of this is like, this is our university in our backyard? This is so, this is so great. Gonna... We, we live in an era where there are so many ways in which everyone t- tells us what they think. Well, you know, this happened. Well, I'm going to tell you what I think. We're right. encouraging people too much. This happened to Bob Bullock when he was the controller. And Speaking you know, of public figures. Yeah, this is yeah. the way back machine that, right. that Matthew was talking about. Matthew it's, was not even born when this happened. That's probably right. <laughs> that is correct. Yikes. Um, okay, you can leave. Um, <laughs> they did it to Bullock, and Bullock got the report suppressed. Um, you know, Bullock had this grand jury, you know, investigating him and his actions as controller and what he was doing with politics and all of this kind of stuff, and issued a no bill and this really, really nasty report. And Bullock's lawyers went in and got the report squashed and, the, and you know the net the net of, the net effect of this Matthew is going to be zero right I mean so we alluded to the statesman the statesman yesterday morning after the report came out called for Wallace Hall to step away from the board that was before they called for Kyle Janik to resign also you know they were kind it was of a big on, day they were on a big you must resign kick yesterday um, pink slips day at the uh, Wallace Hall <laughs> gives a shit what the grand jury thinks if they're not going to indict him about as much as he gives a shit what the statesman thinks, which is to say not at all. He eats these people for breakfast. He's not going to suddenly go, oh, God, right, I should stop being a regent because they said so. Yeah. He, weird... He's heard other calls for his resignation. Didn't give a crap yeah. about yeah. that. Yeah. kind of used to it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, right. Right. But I do think what this says, you know, the, the external sort of review of admissions at UT Austin, you know, sort of gave some credence to the, all the things that Wallace Hall had been saying. You know, they basically said, yes, there have been cases here of, you know, improper, improper people influence. People use their clout to people get people use their clout. The so the Wallace Hall fans could say, look, this external review basically vindicates us. Now the legislative not, committee. Not, not basically. They're well, saying they they're said. saying point blank, this whole grand jury thing is actually, you know, forget that report, yet another endorsement of what Wallace Hall did. And, and but also the legislative committee that was, you know, considering articles of impeachment against Hall, basically they immediately came out yesterday with a statement that said, you know, this See? vindicates us. Yes. Right. See? Everyone you know. claims to be vindicated. Right. We had a purpose for this. Yeah, right. If you were looking for a resolution here, you didn't get one. And as a sidebar, you know, if you were looking at this legislative fight right now over whether to fund the public integrity unit, mm-hmm. 
at the district attorney's office, the fight kind of hinges on, look at this runaway district attorney's office, which is doing things like the Wallace Hall investigation, um, you know, and investigating Republicans, and it's a bunch of lefties from that blue county in the middle of Texas. And now you have a thing where that Travis County DA's office and its grand jury have said, we don't have the information needed to indict this guy, but let's go ahead and kick his reputation around a little bit more anyway. Right. It doesn't really lend them you know, the credibility they're going to need in the legislative. Right. Form. But of course, as we found out this week, uh, the, the votes apparently are not in the Senate. Not at br- the moment, right? At the moment to bring up the bill that jo- I think I believe it's a Joan Huffman bill, is it not? That would move it from the eight, from the Travis County DA into the to a combina- combination of the DA's office and whoever the local DA mm-hmm. is for whoever committed whatever. So the it'd be AG's office, right? So, well, the AG will kick it to you know if they're investigating. The if they're investigating Evan Smith right. of Austin, Texas. They'll kick it to the and Austin r- and right DA. now the two Republicans who are reported to be opposed to the move are Kel Seliger and Kevin Eltife. That's the rumor. I haven't actually. I don't. Actually well, the know statesman that. has reported that. Pardon me. No, Brian Rosenthal at the Chronicle reported that Kel Seliger confirmed that he is one of the two opposed, and that uh, th- that they reported. Sources said that Kevin Eltife has not confirmed it publicly, but that Kevin Eltife is the other. If you were listening to this in Oklahoma, you would be saying, you know, we just went the other way. We just took it away from all the local right. DAs and gave it to a centralized a, thing because yeah, all these local DAs are yeah, in the, am- politically ambitious, and you know, you can take out the person in front of you, you know, shoot them in the back of the head, and then run for their job. Right, Oklahoma, exactly. those communists. So, yeah. does I mean, is this the end of this chapter? Was this the last sort of lingering open question for Hall? It seems like speaking with people yesterday on the kind of anti Wallace Hall crowd, it seemed like the will to try to get rid of him or punish him is seeming to kind of go away. And that, I think, for two reasons is that there have been a lot of investigations into this and not much has actually come from it. But then also, the that group has gotten a lot of the things they want, you know. Uh, they're, they're, beginning with Fenvis. Exactly. That, that's right. number one. The right. president's in. Uh, Abbott's new appointees to the Board of Regents are in. Um, you know, Rick Perry's not there anymore. And I think some of the, the worries that people have that maybe people have marching orders on the Regents has maybe disappeared a little bit. And uh, I think, you know, Wallace Hall doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I, I don't think anyone expects him to actually resign. But he's he's a minority on the board. I'm sure he'll he'll probably continue to try to look into these things, these especially the aspect of the favorable admissions. Um, whether If he finds something, then maybe this could be dug up. But it, it kind of seems like this is yeah. dissipating. You, you, you bring up a really good point. You know, the seating of these new regents at the moment at which they've been seated were in part the route for Greg Fenvis to have the votes to be elected president. If you do a kind of rump, back of the envelope calculation, there is essentially a 6-3 split on that board on a whole bunch of the issues that were so contentious over the last couple of years. It's Hall, Payevich, and Cranberg to one side. Gene Powell is gone. The theory is that both Sarah Martinez-Tucker and David Beck are much more in league with Hicks and those guys. You may get Steve Hicks as the new chair of the Regents if rumors are to be uh, believed. It could really be a, a situation where Hicks is, is hunkered down, I mean, pardon me, where Hall is hunkered down in this minority. He should call Trey Martinez-Fisher. He gets some lessons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, those guys get on great. Well, speaking of the statesman's uh, list of people who should resign, let's talk about Kyle Janik, the Health and Human Services Commissioner. Uh, it has not been probably a great 24 hours for uh, Commissioner Janik. 
uh, Greg Abbott's strike force, basically, that he appointed to look into this 21CT contracting scandal at, at the Health and Human Services Commission, released its its report this week. Uh, the report basically said this was a leadership problem. I mean, that was the big takeaway for me. Um, Ross, what does this mean for Janik, who, a former legislator who basically came in to take the helm of this of this agency? I mean, do you think he's on the way out? Abbott's statement on this was was pretty strong that we had to, you know, clean this mess we're, up. We're at the inflection point for Abbott. So mm-hmm. Abbott comes in and names the strike force, as he called it, before he was actually sworn in as governor and said, right. you know, I want to send in Billy Hamilton and these other people, Talmadge Heflin, Scott McCown, and I'm having a Rick Perry moment. Um, energy department. And, and, one, and one other <laughs> yeah, energy right. department. And um, sent, sent those folks in and said, go find out what's going on over there. And bought himself a little bit of time and, you know, can legitimately say, I don't want to make a decision here based on headlines. Go find out what's going on in there. Now they've come back with their report. And this is the point where Abbott either replaces the management and redoes the agency in his own way or adopts the problems that Rick Perry left him. And and Kyle Janik's the embodiment of that. If you keep Kyle Janik, basically you own everything that went before. If you don't, you can get a clean break. Didn't Janik's own statement after the report make it sound like he wasn't planning on going anyplace? He sounded like he was saying, oh, I'm looking forward to working with he sounds like Rick Barnes. Well, I think that's what you do. And, I mean, you know, you <laughs> yes, don't... Had, had that work out for Rick Barnes. He got a job in and, not well. You know, to be fair, I think that Janik inherited a lot of the, this mess. I mean, it sounds like a lot of these problems existed long before Janik even walked into the report. Was, it Tom the report into, was Tom C's before Janik? Yeah, but the report goes into some detail about the, the small group around Janik that he formed around right. himself that basically served functionally to isolate him from the problems of the agency and from the things that he should have been addressing. And, and that's one of the core... Uh, criticisms of the current management in in this report. Now, they didn't name Janik by name, and they didn't point a finger at any one person and say that one, that one, or that one, but they described a set of circumstances where if he is going to stay, he has to change his act. Right. Well, the other big uh, element of this report, basically, was a recommendation that the state's five, you know, massive health agencies not be consolidated into one because the leadership basically is too fragile. You know, the idea is being pushed around in the Sunset Commission and by legislators, you know, as recently as a few weeks ago were to combine these five agencies into one sort of mega agency all under the Health and Human Services Commission umbrella. It sounds like lawmakers themselves are moving away from that plan you know, in light of, of this scandal, too. I, I think they kind of saw where this report was headed. Right. And, you know, probably got a little bit of a heads up about, you know, this is not, I mean, you can just look at the headlines and look at what's going on and say this probably isn't a great time to create one agency with 54,000 employees and $24 billion in contracts right. when it's having management problems and contract management problems. Right. Of course, the other argument is that there's no better time than a moment of chaos to totally upturn the apple cart. And you could argue that exactly now when massive reforms are necessary, would be a good time to scrape the lot and rebuild. If you do that when there's an interim director, though, it seems like it would be hard to kind of get everybody on the same page. And right. Yeah, well, yeah, the, right. the, the new person has to own the change. Mm-hmm. Right. I right. totally agree with that. So they've already said, Jane Nelson and uh, on the Senate side and um, the House side have already said, you know, basically we're going to phase in what we had recommended as a consolidation all at once. So right. part of the consolidation will happen as they contemplate it now in in the current budget negotiations and, and sunset bill, some of it in two years and some of it two years after that. So they're going to either take their time or figure it out. So knowing what we know about about Abbott and his leadership style so far, I mean, do we, are there any clues to what he's going to do about Janik? No, this is where we get the clue. Right. This is the this is the finally this. I mean, this is the case <laughs> where you get the you know, he he you know, the UT thing was interesting because 
he basically didn't say much about it and appointed his people and then pressed to get them approved and then they went in and voted in Greg Fenves and you know so that was sort of a quiet way to handle right. that burgeoning UT mess and or lingering UT mess and right now we're at like I said we're at an inflection point in this thing at HHSC. The the, the interesting I, I'm very curious to see how this goes for the reason that Ross just alluded to and that you did too. So his early appointments which are the real signs of what direction is he going to take us were a Secretary of State who, while he was a Republican judge from the Valley, was someone who had spoken favorably about the expansion of Medicaid. Then he turns around and he appoints UT regents who get the ire of Michael Quinn Sullivan and team. Right. And there's a big effort uh, made from inside the regents to try to get those new appointees not approved. Well, there was a moment on the regents thing where it's basically, hey, governor, who are you throwing in with? Correct. Right. And, and then they get approved so quickly that they then are involved in a decision to choose the president who the people Abbott uh, has made angry with those appointments don't want. I mean, it's really interesting. If you just isolate out the major appointments that Abbott has made, the major decisions, if you were sort of coming, you came down here from Mars, you would go, who's this guy? We just elected governor. Now, I don't believe Abbott is not conservative, but I do believe that the signs he's sent are interesting. So the choice of a replacement for Janik similarly is going to be a poker tell for a lot of those same people, I think. Right. All right. So uh, in our final few minutes here, what's the deal with the Ethics Commission? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had we had Jim Clancy, who's the, the former chairman of the commission, writing a letter this week basically suggesting shutting down all enforcement of the state's you know, campaign finance law or ethics laws? Right. What's so he's still a commissioner. Drill? He's the former chairman, Jim Clancy. He's an attorney, a conservative from Portland, Texas, down by Corpus Christi. And he sent a letter to the current chairman, Paul Hobby, um, that said this is now published on the Ethics Commission website, which is why we know about it and have it. Um, this said basically, in light of decisions recently made in the Michael Quinn Sullivan case in Denton County, um, it's clear that we're not able to enforce our rules and our rulings about lobbyists, and this is very, very expensive. And I would suggest to the commission that we stop enforcing these laws until we figure out exactly how we're going to go forward with this. And it basically, you know, as Clancy is saying, you know, we're just going to do this until the next meeting, which is in two or three weeks anyway. And the commission gives the commission a chance to say, we either do or don't have the power to who enforce the ethics laws. Uh, the issue with Michael Quinn Sullivan broadly and quickly is that he's a conservative activist who used to register to lobby and then quit registering to lobby. And uh, some complaints were filed by other lobbyists um, and, and some Democratic activists who thought that he should lobby and should reveal where his money comes from. He so, should report, you mean. Yeah, so, right. yeah, so and, and basically he said no and said, you know, I'm actually acting as a journalist. We're a media outlet, and you're violating the First Amendment. And so far the courts have agreed with him. Um, so Clancy sort of creates, you know, or, or tries to create some focus and some crisis here. You know, the legislature hadn't paid much attention to to ethics other than rhetorical because, frankly, their voters don't really care about it. And, and voters don't usually care about ethics and campaign finance, except when there's a big famous criminal case in front of them. So there's not one. So Clancy says, well, what if we just stopped enforcing these laws? And, you know, that basically makes it the wild, wild west. And it puts the legislature in a position where they have to say, we have a crisis, we're going to do something about it. We have a crisis, we're not going to do something about Vote accordingly. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, is this sort of, is it really him asking or is it Clancy really just hoping somebody calls his bluff? 
I mean, is this like the boy that cried wolf? Is this that's a pretty huge thing to just say, well, I think we should stop enforcing ethics laws. Well, he's not saying all of them, but he's saying let's stop enforcing this one because it's too expensive to defend. And, you know, they're not giving us the the legislature's not giving us the juice to do this anyway. So obviously they don't want any defense. If the Michael Quinn Sullivans of the world don't have to register, the theory on the other side is that, well, why should anybody else register? Why register anybody? Um, You know, one reason to register as a lobbyist is because, it, you know, whenever you buy somebody dinner, it gets you out of bribery laws. Uh, But other than that, I mean, you know, you have to show your hand to your competitors. You have to show your hand to to everybody else. Um, If you didn't have to do it, you wouldn't do it. This is one of those issues on which the new people in charge of things broadly defined and have said this is a new day. This is a way for them to show that this is a new day. You know, there's been a a big drumbeat on both the left and the right for more disclosure. It's one of the areas in which as much of a state as we are that is not. Some folks on the left and the right. Well, but the fact that there are folks on the left and the right who are generally in agreement about this is progress. If you consider the left and the right coming together on anything is progress. you know, are you going to side with the Ethics Commission in a general sense and the enforcement of these laws and, 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 and of, with the principle of more disclosure, or are you not? That's going to be another one of these moments when the new people in charge show their hands. The big issue here is whether there is any political push, any political weight behind calls for ethics reform. There's a lot of rhetoric around it. There's a lot of rhetoric around transparency. Right both in lobby laws and in campaign finance laws. The governor put it on his list of top five. five. Um, But is there enough push behind this and enough focus behind this to get the legislature to move on any of this? Well, in one example, and again, I think an early signal of where Abbott's head is, is this. So Van Taylor has legislation that would prevent lawmakers from lobbying, right? Am I correct about that? Abbott has, has been tweeting about the Van Taylor legislation and saying, in essence, I'm looking forward to signing this. Right, well, that time. There it is. So that's one big thing. Is I he mean, looking forward to signing it so much that if the legislature doesn't do it during the regular session that he will call, call them back? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's a question. Are there, could there I have vacation be... plans. I'm, I'm going to hope for not. Yeah, well, the rest of us will be stuck here. <laughs> are there, that's how it works I mean, around Abbott's, here. Could there be any Abbott fingerprints on this letter? I mean, could he be trying to sort of, you know, I don't I don't think so. And you know, I think, you know, Abbott, you know, if you if you name something as a top issue, you want people to take it as a top issue for whatever reason they do. The ethics commissioners have been um, increasingly active in trying to enforce this stuff, you know, particularly with the Michael Quinn Sullivan case, which by the way is the only case that's ever gone to court. Right. So it's not like this happens all the yeah, time. Right. And um, They've been kind of clamoring for this, but it hasn't really moved the legislature. I think we're moving on two tracks. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, the the reforms that Abbott has defined in his blueprint for Texas and the stuff that Clancy and Hobby and some of the House and Senate members are, are talking about are different kinds of ethics reform. A lot of what Abbott's talking about stems from the faults he saw with Wendy Davis during the last gubernatorial election. Great. Great. You know, and you know what I, lo- what I love about this is somehow it's Strauss's fault. The, be- the best thing is because Paul Hobby was appointed by Strauss to the uh, Ethics Commission. You're going to hang that around his neck. Huh? Well, I'm not, but they are, just in the same way as they say, well, this Wallace Hall thing, this grand jury report, this, is, this shows the corruption of Strauss. It's always about Strauss. Uh, well, you know, if, if you would like to hang something hilarious. around Evan's neck. No, no, around to, the speaker's <laughs> neck. <laughs> feel free to email us, right. tribcast at texastribune.org. Uh, you can also now sign up for Tribcast Alerts at texastribune.org slash tribcast. Uh, we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs, as always, for doing our music. And on behalf of Evan, Ross, Matthew, and our wonderful producer, Todd, Who's thanks still for per- listening. still periscoping us at this minute. Right. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking.
I'm going to be lectured on, on, on my sex life by Harold Dutton. <laughs> <laughs>